All right, if you've got a Bible, Philippians, a couple more sermons in this book and we'll be done. It's fitting as uh, we meet the Tompkins again and talk to them about where they're going, that we talk about the things uh, that we're going to discuss this morning. I think Philippians uh, is one of my favorite books in the whole Bible per capita. It's probably got the, more, uh, the most coffee cup verses in all of Scripture. Is anybody familiar with the coffee cup verse? Yeah, maybe it looks something like this. I think this one is from 1 John. Uh, but, you know, uh, Christians love to put stuff on cups, apparently. We do. And uh, just be reminded of things. And, and every, you know, the Bible is all great. Please read the whole thing, study it, benefit from it. But there are certain sentences, verses that pop. And they get quoted more often than the others, right? Philippians is full of them. Uh, uh, Paul says this in the first chapter to his friends, the Philippians. He says, uh, he who began a good work in you will be what? Faithful. Some of you know it. He'll be faithful to complete him until the day of Christ Jesus our Lord. Uh, next week, if you come and hang out with us, and if all goes well this morning and I get through what I'm supposed to, uh, <laughs> I'll be preaching uh, a famous verse in chapter 4. Verse 13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Coffee cup verses. Uh, in the middle, we've, we've read a bunch of them, and we're going to get to probably some of my favorites in the book of Philippians today. Uh, Some of the verses that I quote most often in my counseling, in my teaching, you've heard me say them before. Uh, We're going to run into four of them as we walk through this text today. It's as they appear in the letter that Paul is writing to the Philippians. Uh, These might be life verses. Anybody got a life verse? This was all the rage when I was a young Christian. What's your life verse? Um, All of them should be our life verses, but uh, some of the verses in the Bible are are just more... uh, pointed in their application to our lives. Each one of these verses should be life verses for us. Why? Because um, life verses should be there for us when life happens. Um, Does anybody agree that life happens? There's a a more gruff uh, term for that. Um, Stuff happens, perhaps. Uh, But it, it happens on a regular basis. In a broken world, things break. And when things break and life happens, we go to what God has revealed for us in his word. We lean into him and his truth, and he helps us uh, to carry through. Sometimes life happens in minor ways. Uh, You can all pray for me. Eleanor went off on a business trip this week, Uh, so it's me and Byron, my father-in-law, for the next seven days. What's up? Uh, uh, He's awesome. If If you ever get a chance to meet my father in law he's an amazing guy. Uh, but, you know, he's, he's older and just stuff happens. Things happen uh, in his world. In the last 48 hours, he has lost his left hearing aid twice in my yard. By God's grace, we found it both times, little needle in the haystack experiment. But uh, uh, that's been the last 48 hours. I'm praying that's the end of those kinds of life happens things. That's minor, but... Um, These verses apply to those minor things. These verses apply to the major things. Can I share with you my calendar from the last week? Tuesday morning, I sat with a lovely lady as we planned her husband's funeral. Tuesday night, I sat with uh, a daughter of mine who is not exactly seeking to honor God with her life, and I tried to thread the needle of counseling her without throttling her. Has anybody ever been to that situation? Love my daughter and want so desperately for her to uh, hear from God and stuff, but have to just kind of stand back and watch as adult children make decisions. Wednesday, <laughs> it's going to be a Byron heavy service, just so you know. 
Wednesday, my dad thought it'd be a great idea to open the door when the, the post office guy came uh, to drop off a package, and my dog got out and bit him. <laughs> yep, oh, uh, and I'm getting emails and phone calls from his, uh, his, uh, his supervisor uh, asking for shot records. Apparently, you can put dogs down for such things, right? Which we laugh now, and you'll be glad to know he's more than beneficent, this guy. He's just, hey, man, thanks for the records. We're good. Uh, but those kinds of things that kind of make the heart jump and the countenance fall, um, the long slogs of the loss of a loved one, of the, the breakup of a marriage, the, uh, the difficulties of raising children, these are the verses that should be on your cup as you live through such things. Because when life happens, uh, the, the human default is the dim side. Some said, why not the dark side? I didn't want to bring Star Wars into it. So uh, we're just going dim. Uh, certainly when stuff happens, life happens. Uh, we got some motions this morning, people. Everybody ready? Here we go. This is what people do. Everybody hands over your eyes. We go dark, right? On the dim side, things are dark, right? And then we get mean. Everybody give me a grrrr, right? Come on, some of you aren't growling. you got to growl at me, right? Uh, when things go in, in, in ways that we don't want, life happens, we go dark, we get mean, right? And here's my favorite one, and we freak out. Just wave your arms. Oh. Oh. Who's been there? Anybody chicken little in right now? Sky's falling, and you're just like, ah! One more time. We go dark. We get mean, we freak out. Uh, you'll find that none of these are prescribed for you in your Bibles. These are not the things that when we were created, God uh, instilled in us. Sin brought these reactions about. Instead, as we've been studying all through the book of Philippians, when, when life happens, we need to choose the bright side. We need to choose this side of life that uh, represents who God is, his character, his uh, means and modes of handling things. Uh, I wasn't uh, able to get all of the verses in I wanted to, but I want to read you one that's coming up in, in chapter 4. In verse 9, Paul, as he gets done writing these kind of coffee cup verses, he says, hey man, if, if you're wondering what these look like, look to me. He says, you have learned and what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. Everything I just told you about, you've seen me do. You've heard me talk about this isn't new. This is a review. Since I met you, since we started the church together in Philippi, as we've gone through these various things in life, this has been my message. You've seen how it looks from watching me. Just remember my example, and the God of peace will be with you. I'm not going to go through everything that the Bible reveals to us about uh, Paul and his relationship with this church, but even in this letter, he starts in chapter one saying, hey, prison, not so bad, and, and, and brings out the highlights of what it is to be strapped to guards who don't know Jesus. He gets to share with them. He talks about in that same chapter how uh, other Christian workers are talking smack about him while he sits in prison uh, as they share the gospel, and he's like, cool, as long as the gospel gets shared. He goes on and uh, he relates to them uh, how in chapter 3, many among them have known God and loved God with them, but have walked away and become uh, enemies of the cross of Christ. 
Everybody who's uh, loved someone in your family or in your friend group who has gotten smarter than God and moved in directions away from him, you know how Paul feels. But he continues to rejoice even as he warns against such things. Just in this very chapter, uh, in last week's sermon, we talked about these two ladies, Yodia and Syntyche, who are at odds with each other. And he says, hey, girls, knock it off. Agree in the Lord. All of these things. He says, hey, let's not settle for what our default gives us. This dim side stuff, we don't need it. When life happens, choose the bright side. So what does it look like to choose the bright side? That's what we're going to talk about today. We'll get as far as we can, and then we'll just stop. Three things, hopefully, though. More emotions, ready? Everybody ready? Shake your head. We're going to start each one of these with a, with a don't, right? So shake your head. Don't go dark, right? Rejoice in the Lord always. One more time. Don't go dark. Rejoice in the Lord always. Don't go mean. Don't get mean. Stay calm and honor on. I took that from a t-shirt. One more time. Don't get mad. Rejoice in the Lord always. Don't get mean. Remain calm and honor on. Don't get dark, I should have said. And then the last one is this. Don't freak out. Pray peace in. These are the things that Paul has to teach us today. Let's start with that first one. Don't go dark. Rejoice in the Lord always. Who's heard this verse before? Maybe it's on your cup at home. It's a very common one. Paul's been talking about it this entire letter as he calls the church of Philippi to rejoice in the Lord. But he says it here one more time. In fact, all these uh, verses that we're reading, they're kind of... uh, significant in the Greek language. There's no uh, contractions that connect them. There's no connecting words. It's kind of just like, you know, bullet points. He's just kind of saying these things. They sort of relate, but but they're certainly not in the syntax tied together. And so he just kind of gets to the end here. Maybe he's running out of ink and he's just like, I got to get this in. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, he says, I will say rejoice. Rejoice is the Greek word karete. It's from the uh, the root word charis, which is grace, joy and grace related. Karete uh, is a gladness of heart. It's an inner concentration, an inner conviction and choice that produces calm and confidence on our insides. Rejoicing isn't specifically Christian, to be fair. Uh, we all know from life that mood determines mode. Like if you're in a good mood, chances are things are going to go better. If you're in a rotten mood or a defeated mood, Things aren't going to go as well. Down and despaired equals doom. Joyful and up equals, here we go, optimistic. I just made a funny. All right. uh, And you're better postured to deal with the stuff of your life. My father-in-law, told you it's going to be heavy, uh, Byron. Uh, My dad is almost 91 years old, walks with a walker, can't do the things that he used to do, obviously. He walks around my house singing songs, weird ones, from like the 30s. Five foot two, eyes of blue. I don't know the rest of that, but that comes out of his face all the time. Here's my favorite. He'll, like, he'll sit at our kitchen table and just belt this out after he's had a good meal. I want to marry a gal just like the one who married dear old dad. 
I'm like, what is that? <laughs> Probably number four, you know, back in 1946. I don't know. I mean, it's just... But he just walks around singing songs. He sings uh, Christian, well-known Christian hymns in Portuguese because he went to Brazil once. I mean, it's just like, and, and, and Eleanor and I just look at each other. Like, what is going on? But he personifies what Paul is talking about. Joy is a choice. He can focus on the fact that he can't walk as fast as he used to, that he can't do the things that he used to. He chooses instead to sing some songs. Rejoicing. But he goes on and Paul says, don't just rejoice, rejoice in the Lord. By that he means that in all circumstances we choose to make Jesus our primary source of joy. Now there can be secondary sources, there's all kinds of them. We hopefully can find joy in people, whether it's our biological family, our Christian family. I was hanging out with our college and career group on Thursday night. It's just, it's just a fine group of, of young men and women. And to be able to sit in a life group with them for an hour and a half and talk about God's word, I just walked out of there feeling like, mm. they sing beautifully. There's, just, there's so many great things about uh, the, the, the people that God gives us in life. Has anybody got someone in their life that inspires joy for you, right? There's people, there's places. Uh, I'm going to preach next Sunday, and then the morning after, I'm going to get on a plane, I'm going to fly to the promised land. Not Israel, Maine. It's where I grew up. And there's something about, I, I, I land in Boston on purpose. It takes about seven hours to get from Boston to where I grew up in a place called Caribou, Maine. And I drive it with joy. Because I just look around at my state, which right now is beautiful. <laughs> Humidity's like 3%, right? And uh, it's 60 degrees. I mean, it's the time to be there. And I'm just going to open the windows and let the wind blow in and, and listen to my podcasts and be in this place that just by being there, I feel joy in my soul, right? People, places, these are secondary sources of joy. You could talk about things. Uh, my, my buddy Brad, uh, unfortunately, his father, as many of us are walking through in life, he passed away this past couple of years. Uh, but we were driving together. He's from Atlanta. He told me that his dad had this robot cart carrier. It's not like a driving cart, but it's this like robot cart that you basically can push a button and it'll go where you want it to go. And he said, you wouldn't happen to want that. And I said, I totally want that. And so I brought it home and I got it working. And I'm telling you, it is a game changer. Every time I set that up and go golf, I'm like, thank you, Lord, for the small blessings in life, Right? Anybody got something that when you see it, maybe it's your car that you work on in your garage, fellas, or, or whatever the equivalent would be for a lady. I'm sorry, I'm not one. Whatever that is, that when you see it, you're like, mmm, joy. But those are secondary sources. Jesus must be our foremost giver of joy. Why? Because he's the only one of those things that never fails. People leave. Sometimes they hurt us on purpose. Places, they change. The feelings that you had in them weren't like they were before. Things break. That same uh, robot cart that I got, uh, I, I walked around, uh, like three or four rounds with it, the remote broke. So now it's just a, a paperweight, right? I had to push this thing around. It, uh, woe is me, first world problems. Anyway, uh, but these things, they don't last. Jesus does. Properly perceived, Jesus 
is the greatest cause for a joy in existence. I don't know if you heard me, but properly perceived, Jesus is the greatest joy giver in all of existence. I say properly there because it's key. Too many times Christians have a hard time truly seeing Jesus. And so they miss the joy that he's meant to inspire in us. You know, they look at Jesus as some kind of cosmic Santa Claus. I asked for this, I didn't get it, he's a failure. Now they look to Jesus as some object of their faith that I have to go to on Sunday and serve with the kids. They look at Jesus as, I don't know, somewhere way down the list of their priorities. But because they aren't looking at him, right, they're missing out on the joy that he's meant to give and bring. Jesus, uh, in general, is amazing. Like that the Son of God would come to earth, humble himself. We've already talked about that in chapter 2. He would set aside, in some ways that we can't fully understand, his deity and become nothing and die on a cross for us, raise from the dead and give us this salvation that is ours through faith. He's amazing for what he's done, for what he's doing, for what he will do in the future. It's a game changer to rejoice in the Lord What version of Jesus are we currently uh, seeing in our own lives? Is he uh, a chore to be done? Is he a disappointment to you? You didn't get what you wanted. Can I just assure you, he's way more than that. And if you consider him correctly, he'll bring you joy. Rejoice in the Lord, it says, always. (laughs) Ha, ha. How much of the time? Always. In every circumstance? Yes, the present ones you're facing, the future ones that are coming, no matter what comes, whether it's your children's choices, your health issues, global conflicts, election cycles. (laughs) Our joy is first and foremost found in the person of the Son of God. He is the joy that we look to always. My favorite book in the Bible, one of them is a a book called Nehemiah. It's about a a guy, uh, he was uh, living in a palace in a foreign land, he was a a Jew by birth. He had been taken into exile with the rest of his family and had grown up there. He heard uh, news of the the, the city walls around his uh, home capital, Jerusalem, and it broke his heart. And if you read the story, go ahead, that's extra credit. Varsity, if you want to be varsity, read Nehemiah this week. But uh, uh, if if you read that whole story, you'll see that he goes, and it's this incredible life happens story. Lots of stuff goes down. All kinds of uh, challenges in the building of these walls. But finally they're built, and there's a dedication ceremony, just like everything that gets built. I don't know if there was a ribbon cutting, but they, they got together, and they sang songs to God. And then Ezra, one of the contemporaries, another prophet, uh, uh, was there with Nehemiah, and he opens the scrolls of the Torah, right, the law, and he starts reading to these Jews who had for years been in exile and had lost touch with the God of their, of their people. They'd lost, lost touch with the God of all things. And, and they, they heard of, of his teachings and, and, and read, or, or heard read his revelation, and it broke their hearts. They started weeping and mourning, the Bible tells us in Nehemiah chapter 8. Nehemiah says, guys, this, 
<laughs> this is not the, the right reaction here. I mean, sure, you should be, you know, uh, penitent and, and aware of your, 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 your failings and, uh, so that you can, you know, correct them by the grace of God. But don't focus on those so much that you miss the grace of God. He loves you. He's for you. He, he, he'll receive you as you return to him in repentance. Now, that should bring joy to your souls. He, he says this in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10. He says, go and enjoy choice, choice food and sweet drinks on this day of dedication and send some to those who have nothing prepared. Be generous. The day is holy to our Lord, so don't grieve for the joy. And here it is. It's a big one. Coffee cup. The joy of the Lord is our what? It's our strength. It's the Popeye spinach principle. When we rejoice in the Lord always, over time, maybe not immediately, emotionally, there's this like, I'm fine. You know, Popeye kind of is a little oversold there. But eventually, what God does is as we take joy in him always, he gives us strength. I love how uh, verse 4 finishes. Uh, it says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. He says it twice. It's almost like uh, Paul is uh, playing mom to this church of uh, Philippi. Uh, has anybody ever had to you know, be a mom or a dad to a child who yeah butts them all the time? You say like, okay, here's the deal, buddy. This is how it's going to be from now on. And they're like, yeah, but. And then they try to bring situations that maybe that principle doesn't apply to. Yeah, but, but what about this? Uh, again, going back to what we just said, this is the standard. This is the principle. Yeah, but what about this? Again, Junior, this is what we're doing. This is how this goes. And so Paul's probably anticipating, yeah, but Paul, it's hard being a Christian in the first century. It's hard following him and all these people who are of us and are now you know, enemies of us, and they're, they're, they're in our family, and we've got to have dinner with them, and it's hard. I mean, and Paul says, yeah, man, I hear you but refer to the front part. Rejoice in the Lord always. Didn't hear me? Again, I say, rejoice. Don't go dark. Rejoice in the Lord always. The second thing he teaches is this. Don't get mean. Remain calm and on or on. In verse 5 it says this, let your reasonableness In some translations, the word there is translated gentleness. Be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. This word reasonableness or gentleness is the Greek word uh, epiakes. It means uh, a steadiness, an even hand, fair, balanced, rational, wise. It means going easy, like every toddler has to be taught around a new pet bunny. Has anybody ever seen like a, especially a male child who's had a lot of stuffed animals, they can't compute that this one's living. And so in the same way that they throw their teddy bear around their room. They want to be able to grab this, this living rabbit and toss it across the yard or something. And what do you have to say to him? Hey, buddy, go easy, gentle, gentle now. It's also things you have to teach a big brother for a baby sister, Tompkins, wherever you are. Anyway, uh, 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 it, it's just how we go. And so when life happens, these, the two are kind of related. As we experience the joy of the Lord and he gives us strength, we're able, with that inner uh, peace in place, move forward to the outer stuff of life and be like, all right, I'll be reasonable here. I'll stay calm. I won't freak out. That's coming. 
I'll, I'll just honor God with the best that I can. Being responsible to people and not for people. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone is the next part I want to go over to you. How many people deserve our EPA case? All of them. And here come the abbots. But what about the guy who cut me off in traffic this week, Mark? He did not deserve my gentleness, so I gave him the opposite, and I felt really good about it. Wrong. All the road ragers out there, God's not smiling at that. Doesn't think it's funny. Uh, That's a practice session for how you're going to handle things at home when you get there. Do it well. Honor him. With all people, by being gentle, reasonable in every situation. Uh, why? Love this phrase. The Lord is at hand. Let your gentleness be seen by everyone. Because the Lord is at hand. It's an interesting phrase. The adverb is at hand. Uh, can be taken a couple different ways. And I read all my books this week, and someone take it this way, and someone take it this way. You can take it spatially, as in uh, the Lord is at hand, as he's, he's present He's here right now. Everybody believe that? Like I'm preaching about Jesus and he's here right now. He's at hand. And so if Jesus is here, everything that Paul's asking us to do, rejoice in the Lord always. Let our gentleness or reasonableness be known to everybody. It's possible. Why? Because he's here to help us do what he's called us to do. He's here to help. Also, can I bring kind of the reverse side of that. He's here watching us when you aren't doing what he tells you to do. He sees your unwillingness to live as he's called you to live, just so you're clear on that. It could be spatial. It could be temporal. Many uh, scholars think that this is a, uh, a reference to the return of Jesus. His return is at hand. The Lord is coming back. Uh, but it, I, I think the same things apply. In the stuff that we're facing as life happens, uh, we can know that this is not the end. This is not how this is going to, you know, uh, end up in life. It it might seem like that because it's right here. But there is something better beyond this life that awaits us. There's something better when the, the return of Christ happens here. All that's been wrong will be righted and we'll be set free from the struggles that we face. Again, the reverse side is this. Um, If you're not living for Jesus, he's coming back. And when he does, uh, I want to be, at least in some ways, always honoring him. Don't go dark. Rejoice in the Lord always. Don't get mean. Remain calm and honor on. And then finally, don't freak out. Pray peace in. Now, a lot of people read this passage and they think, oh, that's the imperative. Have peace. Make sure you have peace. That's not the imperative. The command is not have peace. He told us to have joy. He told us to be reasonable. But the command in these next couple verses is pray. When life happens, pray, 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 pray. If there is an imperative tied to peace, it's in the negative. He says in these first words in Philippians 4, verse 6, do not be anxious about how much? Anything. No yeah buts. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. 
That phrase, do not be anxious, in the Greek is meiden merimnate. Uh, it's, in the syntax, it, it basically has the meaning stop worrying. Like Paul's writing this personal letter to his friends in Philippi, and apparently he's heard of their worry. And he's like, guys, stop worrying. In everything in life, if you're feeling fear and anxiety right now, stop that. And then he gives them the how. He explains to them that, that, that you have every confidence, first of all, in, in the God who has made you to provide for you. That's why you can rejoice in him and he'll, uh, he'll give you strength. That's why you can remain reasonable because he's here, he's at hand. Right? Don't freak out. Pray and ask him for the peace that you lack. Jesus was standing in front of a crowd in Matthew chapter 5, and he said these things. He said, don't worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans who don't have God run after all these things. They make it their mission. They worry about them. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Read, God's got us. So he says, seek first his kingdom. We talk about life verses. This is mine. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And everything else, all the things that you lack, will be given to you as well as God provides them. He says, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Let's get through these 24 hours, shall we? Seeking him first. I've thought a lot about that. It means all kinds of things, but it means we go to him when life happens. We rest in him when life happens. There's all these verses in the Bible that talk about us abiding in him. And as you think about prayer, that's what prayer really is. Certainly it's the grocery list. Lord, I need this, this, and this, and this. Can you pick it up for me before you get home? But it's way more than the list. Prayer's a conversation. Prayer is personal. It's a relationship thing. It's you entering into the presence of God in the midst of your life happening and saying, uh, Papa, I want to stay here. It's like a kid who can't sleep at night, sneaking out, you know, as, as uh, his mom and dad are watching whatever was on CBS when he was growing up. That was dumb. Anyway, uh, and he says, I can't sleep. And, and you say to him, honey, you're fine. There's a monster under the bed. There's no monsters under your bed. We've looked at it a hundred times. There's no monsters under there. Trust me. He's like, can you, and this is what my kids would ask me, can you come and sit in my room until I fall asleep? Parents, been there? All right. I mean, DVRs haven't been invented yet, so I'm going to miss whatever this is. But I'll go in there, and I'll sit in the chair. I would bring my guitar in there. I sang this song to Cooper uh, kind of as a lullaby, even when he was like 8, 9, 10 years old. And I just sit there and play the song until the kid fell asleep because there was something about the presence of the Father that made everything okay. That's what prayer does. It puts you in contact with your Father. It brings him into the room in the scary stuff. And it allows his uh, presence, your abiding with him, to lead you into a a, a peace that's different. We're going to get to that. So when we pray, two things, just real quick. We're supposed to ask. That means prayers, supplications, make a request, be known to God. Ask for the peace that you need, for the help that you need, whatever's you know, needed or desired, all in light of his will being done. That's how we pray properly. Lord God, your will be done. But we pray with thanksgiving. Anybody ever wondered about that part? He says to pray, ask for what you need, but don't forget to thank God for what you got. 
Does everybody understand that gratitude is a perspective giver? Like a lot of times, forest for the trees. We can't see what's going on in the rest of life because whatever's happening in life is just so like, and God's like, hey man, pull back. Pull back from this situation. Let's reflect on however long you've been on the earth. God done a few things for you? God taking care of a couple situations maybe just like this before? God been able to handle where you couldn't? All right, thank him for those things. And from that position of gratitude, move forward hopeful in the stuff that is making you anxious. Hmm. See, prayer is this connection with God. When we enter into the abiding presence of God, uh, that presence of our Father produces his peace in us. My dad's a diabetic, and he's got this uh, tubing coming out of the side of his belly that goes to a diabetic insulin pump. And the pump pushes the insulin into his body that he needs, not to you know, go into a coma or whatever. Um, but if the, the tubing, which has happened on occasion, uh, comes un, unconnected from his body or the pump, we're not doing anything anymore. The connection has been severed. And so what's required isn't coming in. That's what prayer does. It connects us with God, and it puts us in line to receive his peace. And that's what the next verse talks about, and we'll stop after this one. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Huper uxa, that's a hard word to say. Uh, that word that says surpasses all understanding is some Greek words that means a mind beyond what you have. It's huper or hyper, hyper have. It's a beyond what you have mind. I used to read this and think, it's inconceivable, this whole peace that God gives us, and certainly in some ways it is. Can we agree? But what Paul's really saying is, is like, this uh, beyond what you have peace is, is a peace that comes into situations where the rest of humanity says, ah, and you're able to stay calm. He says, this peace that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It's the Greek word for garrison, which I love. It's this picture of walls being built around your heart and your mind. And I don't know if you know the, uh, the ways that walls work. They keep bad things out. They keep crazy people in. Do you understand how walls work? So when you pray and the peace of God that surpasses the understanding of humankind, fills your soul, what it does is it insulates you against the stuff that brings your anxiety, gives you perspective. It, it, it hems you in and keeps you from acting the fool outside of his will, outside of his purposes, calms you down so that you're not going crazy. It puts you in the zone. So you're like, oh, I know the zone. I get into it sometimes at my work. You know, I'm, I'm creating or I'm doing my job in ways that I'm not even thinking about it. Most of us drive this way. You're going to get in, car, in your car, most of you, and you're going to drive to wherever you're driving next. You're not even going to think about it. It's just a pattern of life. It's, you're in the zone. I played sports. We really get this with sports. There are some incredible sports achievements that have happened by these otherwise average players. On one particular game, they just got into the zone. Don't mean to brag, but when I was in college, I scored 50 points in one game. That was not the norm. But I shot 13 and 19 from three-point range that night. That's a good clip. And it's because the, 
the, the hoop looked like, like a hula hoop. And I didn't even see the defenders. I was just rising up and having a good time. I couldn't wait to shoot again. I didn't want it to stop. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It did. <laughs> but these moments are what Paul's talking about. Hey, man, if you'll just pray, if you'll just ask, make your request known to God, if you'll remember to thank him, well, what he does is he connects himself to you. His, his presence, your, your abiding in him, puts you in touch with this peace that sets you outside of the stuff that's going on. It puts you in the zone. Uh, uh, first church I worked in was in central Illinois. It's the same place that uh, Josh and Nicole Medlin are from, a place called Pekin. I worked at the little First Baptist Church there. I was a youth pastor. One of the families in that church that I met right off was a, the Parsons, Merrill and Carol. Can't make it up. That was their names. Um, they had three sons. I met them. They were awesome. They are close to my age. It wasn't until I'd been there about six months that I heard the story. They used to have five sons. Uh, but one night, their oldest sons, who were in high school at the time, got in a car and decided to uh, drive in ways that weren't safe, and uh, they ended up in a car accident. Both of them passed away. Uh, Meryl and Carol rushed to the hospital to be with their sons. They're given the bad news at the doors of the ER. And Carol tells this story. I don't know if she's still around, uh, but she would tell the story of how in that moment, as she prayed, this peace that surpasses filled this woman to where as everyone around her was, uh, understandably, she gathered her family, her friends, and she led them in prayer. They spent the moments after finding out of the loss of her sons praying, and she led it. And she'll tell you, I don't know how that happened. She's obviously, you know, grieved them her whole life. But in moments where life happens, God's instructions to us are clear. Don't go dark. Rejoice in the Lord. Don't get mean. Use your hard stuff as an excuse to be a jerk. Stay calm and honor God as you move on. And don't freak out. Freaking out doesn't help anybody. Instead, pray peace in. It's my hope for all of us today. Some of us, uh, you can't rejoice in the Lord because you don't know him yet. You haven't put your faith in Jesus as your Savior. I pray that before you leave this morning, I have a chance to introduce you to him and help you receive him uh, as all of us need to, many of us have. But I know many of you know Jesus. I don't know what your, your, your picture of him is right now in life. If he's just the object of your faith, the chore that has to be done on Sunday, if he's not included in the, the life happens happenings of your life, then here's my encouragement to you. Let him in. Take him at his word. See him for who he is. And trust him. It's the only way we get through. He can turn graves into gardens. Bones into armies, right? He's the only one who can. And so we lean into him. Stand as we sing. You turn morning to
Life is happening. There's some stuff going on. This may not be your norm. You do it however high as you can without feeling weird. But I just want you to reach a hand up to your Father. And I'm going to pray the things that He taught us this morning over your life and mine. God, these hands, and maybe ones that aren't up, (laughs) are uh, symbols of our need. Uh, life happens at a, a, a regular rate. It's, it's debilitating in some ways. Uh, it's beyond our grasp in others. And so, God, uh, we're reaching to you. We're asking you to help us to rejoice in you always. To live reasonably in life with everybody around us. And, and most of all, to not be anxious about anything not freak out, but to seek you, to pray for peace, to abide in you as you give us strength. I pray that for all my family. I pray that for those who don't know you yet, that they would understand that this is what awaits if they put their faith in you. God, grant us your grace in this life that you give. As it happens, help us cling to you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen.